Guys, again, welcome to Impact City Church. Uh, guys, give me a big round of applause for you. Okay, so um, a couple of weeks back, uh, last week we had Greg from the BSM preaching the phenomenal job. He kind of laid out the whole, the whole uh, kind of summarized missions for us. The whole, uh, about five weeks before that, we were talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we talked about disciples are better, not better, but just, just more equipped than Christians in terms of what the definition is for today's terms. Christians aren't really what Christians used to be at all. Okay, and the word Christian was actually not even like an actual word. It was actually like a uh, derogatory term that, that the pagans were using against people who followed Christ. And so we challenged ourselves to not be called Christians, but be called disciples. And it was helping us to a high, higher level of responsibilities. But we, we feel if we were to honor Christ and to follow Christ, we need to be held at a higher level of responsibilities. That was disciple. And then after disciple, we've been kind of playing this, this kind of intro video to a series I wanted to do called Multiply, right? And so, and I was all set for Multiply. I had everything kind of laid out. I had a video laid out. I had this on a cool little, like, cool little, cute little things to put on the screen so you guys can be like, oh, look, he's got like stuff. But then I sat down and like around Wednesday or Thursday, God just wasn't like setting it with me. And so I'm like, okay, God, what you got planned for me, you know? And I guess it was about Friday when I said, you know what? What are you saying, God? I mean, I, I, I need to do this series or what are we going to do? He said, you know what, Felix, don't talk about multiply. Just don't do it. And I was like, okay, God. And so, like, typically, so, like, most people do, I was like, okay, God. So I went, I'm like, no, I'm still going to do multiply because it's a good series about money and it's about finances and we all need some help in that. And God said, look, dude, you don't need to be doing it. He, like, slapped me in the face. Like, just stop. Just stop it. And he said, that's not what I want you to talk about. Just pray about what I want you to talk about. And so um, I think it was a Friday night or Thursday night. We are praying with uh, some friends of ours. And just this, this term um, came to my mind. It was more than conquerors. And we were praying this, this, this term, more than conquerors. And then, yeah, I felt God say, Felix, that's what I want you to preach about, is being more than conquerors. And so this, this more than conquerors, if you have your Bibles, you have a copy of the text, uh, go to Romans chapter 8, it's where we're going to be today. If you don't have a copy of the text, um, there's uh, copies in the back, you can pick one up, you can keep that Bible, that's our gift to you. <coughs> but uh, Romans 8 is where we're going to be today, counting out, so y'all get there and uh, we'll get started. Let me, let me start off like this, let me ask a question, have you guys ever felt defeated? <laughs> like, really defeated, like, like, like you just suck at life. You know, like defeated, down and out, and we just messed up, you can't do anything right. You know, everyone tells you you can't do anything right on top of that. You just feel defeated. And this week, I felt pretty darn defeated. You know what? You know why? Because this week, I had to install a front door. And if you've ever installed a front door, you would know that you're going to feel defeated by the end of the day because that front door is going to kick your butt up and down the street because it sucks. It's terrible. It's the worst. One of the hardest things to do is install a front door. Now, if you're a carpenter, you're probably like, dude, that's like the easiest thing to do. But for me, I'm not a carpenter. I'm just a pastor, you know, and so like to me it was hard. Right? I mean, we had like a couple of my buddies over there were struggling with this door, right? And so I get up to the door and I'm trying to like I'm trying to figure out about halfway through I'm like knocking stuff around, trying to figure out how this thing held up. I started thinking to myself, 
I don't even know what I'm doing in this thing, man. Like, I don't even know what, what's going on here. Like, this, how is it even held in place? I know there's some screws or something. And then, like, I had to go buy some, some new tools, and that was pretty awesome. Because any excuse a guy has to buy a new tool, that's a great day. I mean, all right? And so I'm just, like, trying to like, figure this thing out. And I called my buddy Matt, and he's like, man, this is what you got to do. So we started hacking at it, man. And I was so upset. At one point, I was so upset. I got my hammer. I just threw it down, and I walked off. And I went to Home Depot. And I bought this, like, really expensive, like, special tool that I needed that just made my life way easier, you know, because you need an excuse to buy a tool, so I figured that's a good excuse, and so we just, I was just so defeated by the story, that was day one, day two, we started fighting the door again, and I'm just like there trying to figure out how to make this door that looks like crap and look good, because right? I got like a party coming over the next day, I got all these people coming over and they're like, I want that door to look amazing, babe, I'm like, I know, I love you, but I suck, you know, like, and so I'm trying to make this thing happen, and it just keeps coming, so now that I have everything in place, I realized that there's like big gaps of air in between. I'm like, what's going on? I measured the door. It's smaller than my old door. So I got all this space. And so now I'm like, I got to figure out how to make this look good. So I go back to Home Depot. They know me very well at Home Depot by now. And so I had to buy all this trim and nail it up and then glue it and then put more stuff. And I had to buy the phone that it'll sh- You know, it's not the phone that you spray. And it, you know, that thing is awesome. And so I sprayed it all in there. I got the store set up. And then finally, finally, at the end of the day, um, it finally looked decent, and I think we had the party. Actually, got a couple compliments on it. And I'm like, just thank you to some of the guys that were there with me, uh, helping me put that in, and those of you who offered to come help me. Uh, thank you guys for offering. But um, <laughs> we all feel defeated. Like we all feel defeated at times, and, and, and maybe your issue is not a door that's kicking your butt. Maybe it's something else that's kicking your butt. Maybe it's something at work that's kicking your butt. Maybe it's uh, just a bad relationship you're in. There's something that just keeps kicking you and putting you down. It's just Every time you try to get away from it, it just keeps coming back. Maybe it's some other type of addiction or some type of temptation that just keeps coming up. It keeps rearing its ugly head at you. Maybe it's something like that. We all feel overwhelmed and discouraged. You know, I can imagine it's being a lot like being in a war. A lot like being in a war. Um, if you look at Romans seven twenty three, it says, "But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me." Man, my dad was in Vietnam, and um, and he fought from like sixty eight to sixty nine, which is like the worst years. You know, there were some terrible battles that happened there in the jungles of Vietnam. And um, one of the things I remember as a kid asking, like, "What was the what was, like, what was the hardest part of being over there, Dad?" Besides all the killing and the massacres and all the, all the hardships. And he said, man, one of the hardest things was when we were in a firefight. We're on patrol. We get bunkered down in a firefight. And we're shooting. And we're giving them everything we got. And they just keep coming. Like, like we're, we're knocking them down, man. And we're seeing them fall. But it seems like they just got more people that's just like coming and coming and coming. They're coming out of nowhere. Before you know, they're on top of you. Before you know, they're behind you. Before you know, they're rushing you. And you're just trying so hard to knock these things down. They just keep coming and coming and coming at you. And I can imagine that that was like the worst feeling because as soon as you think you can breathe, here comes another wave. You know, like as soon as you think that you're good, as soon as you think that everything is lined out and your life is good, here comes another wave of Temptation. Here comes another wave of, of abuse. Here comes another wave of something bad. Here comes another wave of, of just something to knock you down. Life will continually knock you down. And to tell you the truth, life just plainly sucks at times. Can we just be honest with that? 
Like if you're one of those people like, oh, life is beautiful. I love Barney and there's flowers and butterflies around that time. You're on crack. Like that, that doesn't happen. Like seriously, like life is hard. If you don't believe it, ask someone who lost a child. Ask someone who has gone through some type of amputation of a leg or something from war or something, and you think that they think life is great. No, it's pretty hard. There's a reality that life is hard, and then there's a reality that, that, uh, that we can get past that. See, God offers us a black and white view of what this type of life is in Romans 8, and how to overcome this life, how to live righteously, how to, how to overcome that wave upon wave upon wave of temptations and struggles and pain and hardship. Because they're going to happen. Christ said it's going to happen. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. So just get ready, bunker down. But we're going to read Romans 8 and kind of, kind of get there and uh, see what he says about that. Yeah, guys, you've got Romans 8 opened up. Go ahead and uh, just hold up. I'm going to give you guys a little backdrop. Uh, Romans 8 was written by Paul, and it was a letter to the Church of Rome. A uh, little backdrop to that, it was the last known letter of Paul. Okay, so the last known letter of Paul was written during the winter of 57 to 58 A.D., and it's time when he was in Corinth. So he's in Corinth, he's hanging out there, and he's writing to Rome. Now, here's the thing. He had never visited Rome. He hadn't, he hadn't been there yet. Okay, that's later on. But he was writing this letter to Rome, and, and there was a church in Rome that was just starting up. Okay, the church was getting started. They, they, they got a little bit of fire going on in them. They got a little bit of services going on. They probably got a little bit of little core groups going on. They're getting started up. They're getting fired up, and Paul is writing a letter to them. Now, this is a lot like... Us in the church today, a lot of us are just new to the church, we're new Christians, and we're trying to figure stuff out, okay? And this was an encouragement and a plea for this new church of believers to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So you can see the whole purpose was him just kind of encouraging them, him trying to lift them up, but him also kind of warning them and giving them a little bit of guidelines to live by. So this is a really good book for anyone to read. Let's go read the whole book, but um, it's like there's just people just like us, but um. Let's get started here on chapter 8, verse 1. Um, it says this, Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body-like the, in, a, in a body like the bodies we sinners have, and in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that just the requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Wow, I mean, that's pretty much the gospel right there, you know? Like, if, let's just pray and go home. If we were just to read that, we can get amped up about everything. Yeah, I mean, we're, and this is awesome, Christ died for us, okay? We don't have to be conquered by sin, and this is awesome, we can just go home, right? And so we're good to go between verses 1 through 4. We're good, right? You know, let's just pray and go home. But if you keep reading, then it starts to get a little bit challenging. Verse 5, pick it up there, it says, Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. 
But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their own sinful nature can never please God. Uh-oh. Here's a problem for me and you here. Because I'll let you in a little secret. When I was working on that door, boy, did I have sinful thoughts. Boy, did I have dirty little sinful thoughts when I was working on that stupid dang door. It was kicking my butt. We all have these dirty sinful thoughts like that. Some of us are struggling through different things, whether it's temptation or just different sinful thoughts that makes us anger, hatred, hatred towards someone, unforgiveness, pride. Those are things that are sinful. If you say you don't, that's another problem. You know, there's two kinds, two kinds of narcissists, right? Do I know that? There's two, you know, narcissists, megalomaniacs, there's two kinds of people like that. There's the healthy and there's the unhealthy. Now, the unhealthy narcissist says that self, he has enough self-confidence in himself that he doesn't even see any ounce of negativity or badness in him. So you're the person that always says, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm more righteous than you, I know more scripture than you, I got this down, I'm better and higher than you. You're a narcissist. You're out on the lines of other people, other famous narcissists, including Donald Trump, O.J. Simpson, Saddam Hussein, Hitler, and Stalin. Welcome to the club. Admit that you are and repent. Um, healthy narcissists are, have enough self-control that when they hurt or are wounded, they have enough self-confidence in themselves that they understand that they are not totally out. And they can redeem themselves because they have no self-confidence and have a good relationship to mend that. And understand, like, like, like you're self-confident. You know you're a winner. You know you're better. You know that you're more than a conqueror. I want all of us to be healthy narcissists in this room. Okay? But we still struggle with these things. We can still struggle with certain sins, pride, unforgiveness, temptations. And look, you can go toe-to-toe with these type of desires and these type of these temptations and try to knock them out on your own. But anything short of going toe-to-toe with Jesus is just, it's just stupid. Like, you can't even beat angry birds. What makes you think you can battle against the, like, the darkness of the world? Like, what makes you think that? Like, you're an idiot. Like, come on. Like, seriously, let's wise up here. We have a mighty Savior who has given us everything. We need to side with him and, 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 and go against this. Okay? So here's the hope. Okay? Here's the hope. This is verse 9. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Try to remember that underline those words, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not even belong to Him at all. That's an ouch right there. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you, because who, I'm sorry, Again, I'm eating deep, guys. Give me a break. Okay. <laughs> um, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now, that's a powerful, powerful verse. 
just and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give you life to your mortal bodies, and by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation, underline that, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no obligation to do it. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Remember, underline that word, but through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, are children of God. So what is Paul saying here? In a nutshell, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that the sin that you're going through, the struggle that you got in your mind, the temptation that you got, the, the abusive relationship that you're in, the pain that you're in, this emotional roller coaster that keeps going up and down, you don't have to do it. It's not even like an option. You just you don't have to do it. You don't have to go through that. You're like, well, you don't understand, Felix. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. It's just something that I have. No, you don't understand that my God says that you don't have to go through this. And my God is the almighty God. He is the most powerful God. And what he says goes. And if he says that you don't have to be controlled by this, if we don't have to be controlled by this, these urges and this, this sinful nature in our hearts, then we don't. It's that simple. No, it's not that simple. It takes lots of work. It's hard. But his word does not lie to us. And when he says we don't have to be, and we don't have to be. You don't have to be. You're not controlled by it. It says that. You're not controlled by it if you have the Spirit living in you. Now, the Spirit is what the key factor is in this whole equation, right? The Spirit is what helps us get through this. And if you look at the Holy Spirit that is living within us, I always look at Galatians and the fruits of the Spirit. My kids love the fruits of the Spirit song, you know, and I am not going to sing it for you because that's, that's totally awkward and I'm not going to do that. But I will read you the fruits of the Spirit. It says this in Galatians 5.22. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces, I'm going that word, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one, self-control. Don't you always love how he saves the best for last? There is no law against these things, he says. So, like a tree, we planted trees back in the day, back in the old house. And I remember sitting down and telling Ryan, uh, and this tree is a lot like you. you, know, if, you if, if you take care of yourself, if you, if you give yourself water, it's going to grow. Now, uh, I didn't give it water and ended up kind of withering away and dying. So this poor kid probably traumatized by the imagery of himself in the tree. You know, but I'm not going to touch that. I'm going to use a tree that probably would be good. Like my neighbor has fruit trees, okay? Produces a lot of fruit flies and they're annoying, but at least we have like grapefruits and stuff, right? And so he has a fruit tree, okay? Now, what does a tree need to grow? A tree needs water, plenty of sunlight, needs to be in a good foundation. So, you know, you're not going to grow an awesome fruit tree in the edge of a cliff, all right? It's rocky and all messed up. Or in the desert, in the sand, you're not gonna, you need to have a good foundation to a tree. And if it has a good foundation, if it has everything that it needs, it's going to bear fruit. And the more it has a way, it's going to bear more fruit. Now, listen, here's a lie that most people say. If you plant it, it will grow. It's a lie. If you plant it, it'll walk away. You're not going to grow. 
Right. If you've accepted Christ and you said a prayer one night at some like youth retreat, or you said a prayer during church, you had a funny feeling, and you accepted Christ and you just walk away, you're not growing. You need to be constantly growing and, 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 and putting into that tree for it to grow. It's like we need to be constantly pouring and putting into our spirit so our spirit can grow, so we can produce good fruit, so when we produce the fruit, we can live better. Y'all tracking with me on this? Good fruit, easier to live. Got that? So as we're, as we're uh, putting into this tree, we're, putting into, we're doing things like we're praying more. We're offering ourselves in prayer. That's building up your spirit. We're worshiping God daily, not just on Sunday mornings. We're worshiping God by the way we live, by the way we treat our kids, and the way we love our spouse. That's worship. You're honoring God through worship that way. Uh, are you serving in his church? Are you serving the people of God? Are you being on mission? That's, that's building up your spirit. If you're not serving in some area in church, I urge you to do that. Or serving somewhere outside of the walls of church, urge you. If you're not giving, a lot of people that don't like to talk about money in church, well, you know what? Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the gospel. So you know what? It's a pretty darn important thing. Are you giving sacrificially? What we say here, if you can't trust God, because money is the most important thing in your life. If we don't agree to that, just understand you need money for everything in your life, so money is the most important thing in your life. So if you can't trust God with the most important thing in your life, then why trust Him with anything at all? If you're not trusting God with your finances, then what are you doing with your God? Are you loving others? Are you showing hospitality and loving others that's building your spirit up? Are you repenting constantly and you understanding that you have struggles? And Is there someone in your life that knows you 100%? Are you confessing to someone else something that you have done, if you've done anything wrong? Is there someone in your life that knows you 100%? 99.9% is unknown. Are you reading his word constantly? Are you diving in? Are you in, just in, finally infatuated with him? Are you so in love with him that you seek his word daily and you want to just, just read it and know more about this God that loves us? All these things help us grow and become better people because God has designed it that way. He sent into us the Holy Spirit and we became saved. And he put that spirit in us and he said, now go grow it. Build it. Because if you build it, then it's going to be great. And you're going to have greatness in your life. Look at some of the things that, that he gives us. If, if we pour into the spirit, he gives us stuff like love. Some of you people have been hurt in the past by relationships and stuff. And you're just like, I cannot love someone else. Well, pour into your spirit, to the Holy Spirit, and God will teach you how to love. Joy and peace. The understanding there is hope for you after this life. Patience. Gosh, I need a lot of that. That door tested my patience. I wonder if I would have been really in tune with more of the Spirit if I have had more patience. Kindness and goodness and just faithfulness. Things that we need. Gentleness. How are you loving your kids? How are you uh, responding to your kids? And the last one, self-control. Guys, you can overcome anything with self-control. That's all we need. I we get those things from the Spirit. Now, does that mean we're not going to struggle? No. Of course we're going to struggle. Look at what it says in verse 17 in Romans 8. It says, 
And what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we, he will reveal to us later. So he's saying that we're going to suffer, we're going to struggle. And that's, that's not a bad thing, okay? And don't take it like it's a bad thing. But just remember that there is something greater at the end of the road, okay? He also goes on to say stuff like uh, uh, the Holy Spirit will help us when we're weak. That's later on in verse uh, chapter 8. He says stuff like the Spirit, our spirit is groaning in anticipation for one day being released from sin and suffering. So he's saying that you're still going to have that on you. Okay, but one day you want to be released from that. And so he says, you're going to have some troubles and some suffering, but it's okay. Keep going on. It also says stuff like, God works out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28. Everyone knows that verse. It's probably on a coffee mug somewhere. And then at the very end, it keeps going on. It says, uh, God knew, and he chose, and he called us in advance for him to be in the predestination and all that stuff. I'm not going to touch that subject right now. But I'm just saying this, that he knew you, and he chose you, and he called you. That means that God knows everything about us. That means that God knows us yeah, when we were young, when we were before we were born. He knows us uh, what we're going to do and how bad we're going to screw up in life. And he knows us that after he saved us and after he has redeemed us, he knows that we're still going to screw up after that. And yet he still chose to save us and redeem us on the cross. That, that, that's an amazing thing right there. That he knew us and he chose us. Okay? He knows us in and out. That means that God knows you and he knows everything about you. He knows that. So there's some beautiful things there in Romans 8 that we read, but as Paul wraps it up, I'm going to wrap it up too. And I want you to listen to these words and let them be uh, kind of true to you, um, kind of maybe tattoo them on your heart, if you will. Um, just kind of let them ring true and let them bring some hope to you as we kind of finish this out. You think that is a fast sermon? Yeah, it is. So what shall we say? This is verse 31. It says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? I love that. If God is for you, who can be against us? Just marvel that for a while. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us from God who has chosen for his own? Who's going to accuse you? But don't fear man, fear God. So it's what it's basically saying. It says, no one for God himself has given us the right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or, dis, or dispute or in danger or threaten, uh, threaten our lives? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. That last part, overwhelming victory is ours. You know what it takes to be overwhelmed? It means you got to be strung out to the very end of your rope before you can be overwhelmed by something. So Christ just doesn't give us this half-hearted victory and says, okay, you're good, you're good, okay, everything's great. He says, no, 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 I'm going to not just save you from that. I'm going to save you so much that you just got to know it's me. It's overwhelming. It's huge. An overwhelming victory. And before I finish the last part of this chapter, I want us to stand and pray because I believe that this next part of Romans 8, the last couple of verses, is probably the most amazing part of Romans 8. 
And I think that um, if we were to just read it and receive it through prayer and, uh, and just through worship, I think it would just mean so much to us. I think that this is a promise from God in his word to us, kind of a love letter and the signing off. Have you guys ever written love letters in middle school, even growing in high school? You got issues. Um, you know, I mean, in middle school, you write little love letters. And you know what I'm talking about? The little love letters that you got folded. And all the girls are folded like in 50 different ways. And the guys got it. And they're like, what the heck is this? And they got the scissors. And they're trying to like go toward it, trying to open it up. Like, when you write a love letter, at the very end, you always sign like X and O or something. You always put some type of awesome, like, I love you. You know, or something like that at the end of the love letter. God kind of does this to us. He, he puts it through Paul. And he says these things. If you guys would please stand. I want to pray through this. And I want to read this last verse to you. And then uh, Cody's going to lead us out in worship. And we're going to be done. Um, let's bow our heads and pray. Guys, we are with our heads bowed. And our eyes closed. I want us to just kind of focus in on that wave that is coming. We are either getting hit by a wave or you see one coming on the horizon. But you know something's coming, so I want you to just kind of focus in on what's coming our way. I want us to just remember that wave and remember and be ready to receive that wave and be ready to stand firm in that wave and paddle towards whatever it is that we need to do to, to overcome that wave. And I want us to think about the calmness that happens as the sun's coming up in our day, there is a calmness upon the water of this sea of life that we're on. It's in that moment that we rejoice. It's in that moment that we fill ourselves. It's in that moment that we regain our strength. And here comes another wave. And that wave might be coming, guys. I want you guys to know that you might get knocked off. You might get knocked around and kind of tumbled around by that wave, but you can get right back up again. You don't have to be stuck in that wave. And God tells us this, that even though we might mess up, He still loves us. And this is what He says in this verse, this very last bit, His, his little love letter to us. He says this, this is what Paul says. He says, and I am convinced that nothing Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life. Neither angels or demons. Neither fears for today. No worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above. And no power on earth below. Indeed, nothing can separate us. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us and because nothing can separate us, we are more than conquerors in this world. You don't have to be controlled by anything. Nothing controls you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.